32 counties united by people. My name is Andrea, Una's still away, and this is United Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. This week, I'm absolutely buzzing for this episode. Um, as the Housing for All launch happened last week, uh, we look at all the pieces that were kicked down the road, um, especially vacant and dereliction uh, housing. We already have it in place. Why are we not utilizing the most sustainable approach to getting housing back online is using houses that are already there. Sick of listening to plans and the future and what we could do and creating pathways as opposed to actually doing anything. We are talking uh, to Lauren from D8 Developments who took matters into her own hands and has started taking back derelict and vacant properties um, and getting them ready to be used by uh, people and businesses and whatever the case may be. So yeah, really looking forward to that chat uh, later on. But first, um, as always, a little reminder that we are an independent podcast and we do need your support. We have looked at and been asked to do other uh, formats with ads in them, etc. And it's something we don't want to do. We like having our own little buzz and we like the freedom we have and also the not no annoying ads within the podcast but to keep it like that we do need your support so if you do like uh, listening to the episodes and you do have a spare th- three euro a month come on like please please uh think of andrea Duna. Um, go to patreon.com forward slash united ireland and pay for what you're listening to um it's a fair deal, I think. Um, and your support has really helped us um, so far and allows us to pay all our guests. It allows us to uh, pay our producers. It allows us to keep doing the things that we hope you want to listen to. So if you do want to sign up, don't say you'll do it later. Get on it. Do it today. Don't put it off. But now it's time for State of the Nation. So this week on State of the Nation, Weza, 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 what a dramatic turn of affairs. Um, I feel like the Finnegal controversy of the Zipan appointment, uh, the Coveney giving the appointment eventually, um, even after ghosting poor Catherine, and then when he appears at the committee to make her out look like a lunatic, um, we all have been there in the ghosting situation. Just respond to someone and either say yes or no. It's the f- most frustrating thing when you have to ch- chase up on things. Um, at the same time, absolutely scarlet uh, and disappointing from Zapone, I think. Um, obviously, it's her career. But for me personally, I think it. Uh, you see someone who enters so full of ideology and intention and then to be brought down to begging ministers for jobs it yeah I think it's I actually think it's kind of, it's quite sad um but what I don't think is quite sad is the absolutely lying and scarlation that's happening in the timelines in the what's happening at the committees and um, there's no reason why this shouldn't be brought to the doll um but who is the leak have we decided who the leak is um it just 
feels like a, a lesson in how something that should have been nipped in the bud and could have been a much smaller issue has now ballooned into this much bigger thing. Um, and if it had to be, if you, if at the outset it was like, look, we shouldn't have done this, hands up, um, apologies. We're now getting into lies, people making up stories, committees, people calling for it to go to the doll. Like, if you just were honest from the outset, it's not that I'm upset, I'm just disappointed, is what it all feels like, I think, in what's going on. Also, speaking of disappointment, the Housing for All launched last week. Um, there's a lot of promises in there. A lot of it doesn't seem to have actual how it's going to happen. Um, some of the most important stuff has been put on the long finger. There's the decision to put the vacant property tax down the road. Um, we didn't really see anything against vulture funds coming in. Um, and there's been um, suggestions, or not even suggestions, examples of uh, the Dutch, I think, were uh, are trying to ban vulture funds and investor funds coming in and buying all the houses so people can actually live in them and buy them. Um, and again, when you have a government that's like, well, we need these, we need like places to rent absolutely individual landlords are getting out of the market we have vulture funds who are taking over and keeping things empty to keep prices up um there was no attempt to get rid of the absolute and bits bill to rent bill to rent feels like the new co-living um and hopefully as we've seen the co-living that came through before the minister uh picked up his pen to reel it out hopefully that won't happen again and that there will be um uh an approach on bill to rent and their frankly quite crap standards. Like wh why would you want a worse living facility just because you're renting? It's so frustrating. Um, just build good houses. Students can live in them. Families can live in them. Single people can live in them Um, build different sizes. I don't know why it is like you have to build ship boxes. It's so frustrating. Um, also, there's uh, problems with the help to buy and shared equity issues of how that's going to push prices up. Um, and yeah, just very frustrating, especially not us putting the vacancy thing a year down the road. It feels like it's giving uh, people who own these derelict places the opportunity to find loopholes by the time the year's like why would you if you wanted to fix an issue why would you not just do it why would you not just do it and i think there in lies um to think the promise to outlaw homelessness in 10 years like you could do it straight away if you really wanted to um and i think it goes down to the the ideology love that word um of the government the parties involved who who are obsessed with with foreign investment, with um, vulture funds, with, in, as they see, investments, um, institutional investors. So even now, Leo is doing the rounds looking for investment in the UK. So obviously we need money, but like, do we have to sell our fucking cell first? Speaking of selling our cell, blackouts. Uh, we've spoken about this a good bit uh, here, um, the Commission for Regulation of Utilities has warned of rolling blackouts 
if action is not taking uh, recommending either a moratorium on the construction of data centers or new conditions for the construction um, because we are ha we have an electricity shortfall there's a piece in the business post by Daniel Murray um, that we've an amber alert on our electricity so we actually are not going to be able to work as a society we're not going to have power because data centers are taking it to make money so what we pay for our supply of electricity um, won't be able to be delivered because data centers are going to use it to make money. Like, how do we, how is that okay? Um, and even worse than that, Michael McCarthy, he is a former Labour TD and he's the director of Cloud Infrastructure Ireland. Um, they represent Google, Amazon and Microsoft, all the good guys. Um, and he's told the Business Post that his members were against any moratorium on data centres, that they didn't support the relocation of the facilities to outside areas um, of the Dublin region, and they didn't support the condition of building on-site generation to power their own operations. Oh, okay. Um, cool. So thanks for working with the team, Michael. Um, it's just, again, so frustrating. Again, in the in the constant uh, struggle to make money we're actually to make money for who like we're not providing the services and systems we need to live in the country instead we're saying well we need this money to make the country better we don't have fucking electricity are you absolutely joking out of your mind like oh now it's time to move on to our main interview with Lauren. I think you're really going to vibe off this. Um, obsessed with her outlook and her collective action and uh, bringing voices to the table um, and bringing vacant and derelict buildings back into action. Enjoy. So last week, the government launched Housing for All, um, a bit of an insipid solution in inverted commas. Let's be honest, for our current homeless crisis, an absolutely bananas housing and rental markets. One of the issues we have in Ireland is loads of the wrong types of buildings are being built in the right places. Uh, we've luxury, uh, again, in inverted commas, student accommodation, but nowhere affordable for students to live. Um, and actually, that student accommodation is being quickly turned into tourist accommodation more and more often. Uh, we never saw that coming, did we? Um, and what is really, really evident is the amount of vacancy and dereliction that's been allowed to happen. The most sustainable and sense-filled solution is to obviously use what's already built and empty. Unfortunately, we don't have the systems in place to properly tackle dereliction uh, from the tax uh, systems to people to enforce it. Um, and we don't even have uh, logs of vacant properties, etc. There is talk of handing it over to the revenue. So funny how the body that collect money seem to be the only body that functions correctly in our society. But that's a story for another day. Uh, there was mention of tackling the vacancy issue in the plan, but not for a while yet. It was definitely kicked down the uh, path. Um, a pathway was announced. A pathway. Stunning. Uh, no action, just a pathway. Uh, but we're not in the habit of waiting around here at United Ireland. Today, we are joined by Lauren Tweet. 
Tweet? Tweet. Tweet. Lauren Tweet. What a stunning name. Who is a slow streets urbanist. Uh, she's completing a master's in sustainable transport and mobility at TU Dublin and is an advocate for improved walkways for pedestrians. She's also the founder of D8 Development, a social enterprise in Inchicore. D8 Development turn empty properties into beautiful and affordable spaces where people can live and work. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. Uh, I have been following your project on Twitter and I've been really interested in it and kind of really fascinated to find and excited to find out how it works. So what a perfect time to have you on the pod. Um, Can you tell us a bit about D8 Development, what its goals are and how it came about? Sure. Um, So I, I think maybe I'll start in 2015, which is when I returned to Ireland after living abroad for about six years. I was living in Davis, California and Sacramento, California. And these are two very progressive, um, kind of eco-friendly, walkable cities um, in the Central Valley of California. And, um, you know, I really, I really loved living there. Um, I did my master's in creative writing there. And um, it was, you know, my first experience of living in a place that wasn't designed around the car. And there were really no vacant or derelict buildings in Davis or in Sacramento. Um, and, and, you know, Sacramento, particularly when I moved in there in, um, you know, 2013, it was actually also quite an affordable place for, for young people to live. Um, and so when I came back in 2015, I was really struck by just how many vacant and derelict buildings there were in Dublin in particular. Now I was living in Galway and studying law at NUIG. And so as part of like my studies there, I did a research project on dereliction and the Derelict Sites Act and um, kind of got into the nitty gritty on how the law functioned. What is the law? That's always often at, um, the place where you start from, like what is actually the law governing something in Ireland? And then how does it work at a local level? How does it work at a national level? And um, I did a comparison between the derelict sites registers in in Dublin City Council, South Dublin County Council, and in Galway City Council. And, you know, I was really struck by how few properties were on the list and um, the various ways that the local authorities presented that information to the public. Like in South Dublin County Council, you could go online and you could see a spreadsheet of you know, when the properties were added to the register, um, what notifications had been given to the owners of the sites, if um, levies had been collected, if the owners had been mandated to make repairs. Um, and then in Dublin City Council, it, and it's still this way, if you, if you go online, you can see like a PDF document with just a bunch of addresses, but there's no information about, well, are these people actually paying their levies or, you know, have they had to undertake remediation works? Um, and you, you actually have to physically go into Dublin City Council and look at this giant book that's mostly handwritten in pencil. <laughs> and I extracted a, lo- a load of data from, from that and kind of got a better picture of, you know, what exactly Dublin City Council were, were doing with these properties and, you know, um, got to interview one of the officials working there. And I remember asking him at one point, like, you know, as someone who this is like your full time job dealing with these derelict sites and with the owners, like what would you do differently or how would you make that 
better or a better process. And I remember him saying, oh, well, no one's really asked me that before. (laughs) I'd have to think about it, which I thought was really interesting. So anyway, um, did the piece of research and um, finished up in Galway and moved to Dublin and um, ended up moving into Inchicore with my partner. Um, And Inchicore is a really interesting place because, you know, it has this, you know, long history and also... um, you know, a, um, kind of a, a working class history. The CIE works has been here for a long time. And, um, you know, around the works buildings, the I, like I currently live in one of the houses that was built for one of the railway workers, um, one of the cheaper ones. <laughs> and then like over across the wall, there's the, the larger homes that were built for like the engineers and the higher ups. Um, but then this, the, the village of Inchicore, like I would describe it as a yellow box like the the heart of it really is this huge space that's just given over to through traffic and you know in places the paths are very narrow like wouldn't wouldn't meet the mandatory minimum requirements to enable you know two wheelchair users to pass each other um you know they they wouldn't have sufficient ramps for people who are pushing a buggy or in a mobility scooter to get around and um you know i think what i saw kind of tracking dereliction mapping it out um the link between the car and the dominance of the car and dereliction. Because once a space is great for cars, it becomes crap for people. You know, it becomes loud and dangerous and, you know, you don't feel like you have enough space. And and kind of thinking as well about how, you know, so, like social media, um, the user experience of something like Facebook or Twitter, where it's all about being able to communicate with people as quickly and effectively as possible. Um, you know, it's a really social experience. Like imagine if Twitter or Facebook resembled your typical city street in Dublin and like, you know, you couldn't see what you wanted to, you couldn't access a link because there was a, you know, a car or something blocking your way, or you couldn't hear something because all of a sudden, a, a, you know, the noise of a car stopped you from listening to the audio of a, you know, of a video. Um, so like seeing the kind of link between like, okay, well, tech people seem to understand that we can make these like really addictive fun spaces through apps that people like flock to but our urban planners and our road engineers are not are not designing with the same intent um so da development became a way in which um i could kind of address a lot of these issues you know i could kind of look at these properties that have been empty for a long time you know, see see the beauty of them, the history of them, the stories in them, and um, and then also kind of use it as a way to talk about the use of public space and the way that people move around. And um, you know, before I started DA development, I was really involved in kind of organising around bus connects. Um, and bus connects was an interesting one for Inchicore because um, you know there's there is um, you know. Inchicore is like a dense, you know, it's a densely populated area and we've had lots of infill development. We have lots of, you know, apartment blocks and people are gen- like there are lots of kind of living over the shops. Um, but there's still a lot of people in Inchicore who feel like even though we're four kilometers from the city center, you have to have a car and you're dependent on a car. And, you know, sure, the buses, they're always full by the time they get here. <laughs> and, you know, they, they don't really get us to where we need to go. And, you know, we have a loose. So like, kind of like unpicking, looking at the plan and, you know, for Inchicore, the plan was originally to fell 
90-year-old London plane trees, from which we kind of form the current entrance to the village, if you're coming you know, from the city centre, to fell those, widen the road, so that you, know, you could keep the, the movement of traffic as it is currently, um, and also have bus lanes and segregated cycle paths. And um, you know, I just thought that would be a tragedy for the community because more lanes have, is always the answer for traffic, isn't it? Pardon more lanes, as we can see, yeah, more lanes. More lane and um, you know, and, and and then there were other things in it that um, that would that would restrict private cars, and I could see already that the conversation was kind of moving towards, well, like, um, oh, you know, we can't give up our right turn here. We can't give up our left turn here. Or, you know, these things. And um, have, uh, so, yeah, um, my, my whole approach was, okay, well, if we're looking at our climate targets and we're looking at making Dublin like a really great city to live in, um, the trees have to stay. And what do we do? <laughs> to keep the trees like what is what is the solution and the solution was okay well you know if we do a one-way system and we remove certain movements for traffic and basically certain streets become um cul-de-sacs essentially for cars but they're still permeable or for walking and cycling like that's how we do it and that's how we would get you know um a better public transport system but also just like a better village to live in um so i kind of wrote this like long meandering letter and i i I had only really moved into Shakur, um, you know, a few months previously. We ended up having this awful time renovating our house. So we we hadn't been living here. And, you know, so but the first introduction to some of my neighbors was getting this long letter from me about like why trees are so brilliant and why cars are so awful. <laughs> Making friends, and, um, fast and furious. Oh no, so and I and luckily enough, like people started texting me and calling me, like, hey, you know, can we have can we have a meeting about this? And so we did. And, um, you know, one of my neighbors, drew, who was an artist, drew up a big map. And, you know, we talked about the, you know, the various ways that people move around. And like the question was, like, is it worth doing certain trips on foot and keep the trees? Like, is that a sacrifice that we're willing to make? Like, you know, like given that the trees are cleaning the air and they're providing a shade and they're so beautiful and we look at them every day, like, is it worth making certain trips on foot to keep that and like getting people to that place? Um, and yeah, so, you know, I think I was, I was so, and like doing, you know, doing that organization and kind of becoming connected to the active travel Twitter and like people who are, you know, really interested in this space. Um, it was so encouraging. It was, um, yeah, I was really excited by the whole process and, you know, when the next round of um, Bus Connects plans came out, they included all of our suggestions and they kept the trees and we're going to have this one way. Um, so, yeah, it became like, a oh, actually, like pe- public consultations can be useful if the right voices are being heard. Mm-hmm. And too often in public consultations, um, you know, the people who are feeding back to them are people who, you know, might be older, might be retired, might be used to doing things a certain way with the car parked outside the house and being able to get to all of their, you know, all of their services through a car. And, you know, that's the perspective that we're designing for. And we're not hearing like, well, what about, you know, the woman who's, you know, has a small child and doesn't, you know, can't walk safely with the child because, 
they're clinging to them for dear life because the cars are going so fast and the footpaths are too small and you have to step out into the roadway or, you know, what happens to the person, you know, who's, um, you know, there's a lot of older people in Dublin who don't own cars and do the, the kind of daily messages on foot and push the little shopping trolley. And, um, you know, what do they think about the plan? Like, you know, how, like what, what, how how will it impact them if we're still just designing for cars and we're making more space for cars and we're enabling cars to travel as quickly as possible? And, you know, I found out through through the organizing and talking to people that one of my neighbors, Anne, um, who's in her 70s, was was hit by a car in the village and broke her hip and, you know, underwent a long period of rehabilitation and still will say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I was. But, you know, I like it's never going to be economically practical for her to like buy a car or you know she's in her 70s now she's never driven like um so yeah like seeing the power of having like lots of different voices being at the table and the voices of people who are thinking about how children move around because children do not move around in the way that adults do (laughs) you know children are mental and they're so easily distracted and um you know, but, but there are places in the world where kids still have an independent life and are able to walk to their school or walk to their friend's house. And like, we can design for that. That's not like, oh, that was in the past. We just don't do that this way through design. We can actually get to a place where our streets are as social and attractive and enticing as, you know, TikTok. So you use the DA platform, I suppose, to, to, advocate for all that kind of stuff but what drew yes. me in was <laughs> which is right. what drew me in I suppose was the the physical building and renovations you were right. doing um was that something that was part of the plan or how did that come about and what like how do you do that like what yeah okay so um when I was living in Actually, so we'll fast forward to um, about 2017. I was asked to join the board of a local addiction and recovery service, Frontline Make Change. And, um, you know, we have a building in Inchcore and we were looking at starting up a social enterprise, um, a bike shop. And we found an empty building in Inchcore and we, you know, talked to the owner. We said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll provide we'll do, we'll provide the funding and the expertise and the contractors to renovate this building so that it can be used again. If you give us uh, an extended rent-free period in our lease to pay for it. And, um, so that's what we did. Um, the, the building was previously like a, um, a motor shop and it had been empty for a really long time. And it was turned into a bike shop. And I, you know, I was part of the whole discussions around the leasing and like how that would work. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is something that could totally be replicated. Hmm. So that was where, so DA development really came out of that, that first bike shop project. And then, so the second one um, I was looking at was Emmett Hall, which is this incredible historic building, um, uh, very close to the bike shop. It's on Emmett Road. And again, it's been empty for decades. The The residence upstairs was broken up to, into bed sits in like the 1960s, but actually never rented out. And the two shops below, there was a, a butcher's and the previous owner described like 
oh, you know, I, I, you know, I remember my father evicting the tenants here because they weren't paying rent in 1984. And like, that's the last time anyone stepped foot in it. And then on the other side was a bookies that was used kind of more recently, maybe five or six years ago. Um, so the, I, so I arranged with him to lease the, what was the bookies and, um, I, 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 I was very involved. I'm very involved in like the local green party group and would have been canvassing with, um, Michael Pigeon in the local elections and with, um, Patrick Costello in, um, the generals. And I knew that my, uh, I knew that Patrick would have, you know, funding to have a constituency office. And we, so I pro I was like, okay, Patrick, I really think you should have a constituency office in Inchcore, like everything's happening here. St. Michael's estate cost rental, you know, there's so much, you know, there's a really young, vibrant population here. And, you know, I really think that you should lease this office, this space. And I came and showed it to him and he was like, okay. Like it, it looked, it was a wreck. It was a total wreck, but he was like, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So once I knew I had a tenant, I was like, okay, I can sign this lease and I can, you know, put the money into renovating it. And, um, yeah, I won't like totally lose the shirt off my back. So that was the second project. And, um, then I started kind of negotiations on a third project. And so like how, like how it's actually not that difficult. I've found to track down the owners. Um, cause often like maybe a planning application went in at some point. So you can use Dublin city council's planning database to find out, okay, well, who was the architect who submitted the most recent planning application? And then you can contact them and say, Oh, Hey, you know, I'm interested in leasing. Is there any chance you could put me in touch with the owner? That's kind of how I've found them. And then also, um, within Inchicore, there's a, um, Inchicore Kilmainham network, sorry, Kilmainham Inchicore network or kin and working with, um, people from from the network who kind of have have over the years kind of approached different people about like oh you know would you do this shopfront improvement scheme or would you be so they kind of had a lot of knowledge within that group um about like who owned various things so like i've had a pretty easy time like tracking down owners um but then more recently with um emmett hall the the owner um he put in another planning application on it to have it he wanted to build like an infill development of three houses in the site out the back and he was refused at dublin city council appeal to onboard panola was refused again and you know he spent like 10 or 15 years i think at that point like trying to develop it as housing and and <laughs> you know, was absolutely exhausted and probably a bit broke from like doing it. Um, and then a local councillor put a motion forward to include the structure or include the building on the record of protected structures. And he was just like, I can't cope with this. Like if it's on that record, it's just going to be impossible to do anything with it. So I was like, well, would you sell it to me? <laughs> And yeah, so we reached an agreement. So now DA Development owns this building. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to give you a tour of it. It's it's, it's mad. Um, so we just got the keys like nearly two weeks ago now. And, Amazing. Um, Flower Pop, Heather Corcoran, she, so during COVID, Patrick, after, you know, all the work that we did <laughs> to 
put his constituency office in there. He couldn't do any constituency work. So he was kind enough to hand over the keys really to Flower Pop. Um, so she's been kind of using it as a studio and she's going to take over the space that was previously um, the the butchers. Uh, but it's again, it's another huge, another huge um, renovation project. Um, so you know, rewiring, replumbing, totally needs to be insulated, all that kind of stuff. And then um, the space over the shop, um, we're actually going to turn into co-housing. So myself and Heather, the plan is to turn it into a house for our two families and we're going to live cooperatively. And yeah, our children are going to be siblings. <laughs> we're just going to do it. Have a commune life. Um, yeah, basically. <laughs> if you were to give, I suppose, if people were interested in, in this approach, what kind of things would you tell them to do? I suppose the main thing is how do you afford it? Is there ways to get funding or is that something you've looked at? And like, mm-hmm. what is, what, yeah, what are your main tips for people who, who want to start kind of looking at the dereliction and vacancy? Um, well, like the, yeah, the first thing is like tracking down the owner and yeah. Um, so how, like I, you know, I, I've self-funded yeah, the first yeah. projects, um, and you know, I've, you know, kind of worked out this formula. Well, okay. If it's going to cost me 20,000 euros to do this renovation, um, you know, if I, you know, if I can get a two year period rent free from the owner where I say, Hey, look, you know, you're not bothered renovating this project. It's going to be a nightmare for you. Um, but also you're not making any money when it's just sitting there empty. So if I put up front the money to do this and, you know, you give me a break on the lease for two years, at the end of it, you know, you're going to have a property that's worth a lot more because I've done all this work. Um, but, you know, I, you know, so if my, if my business fails, <laughs> you know, and um, I can't afford the rent in the future, you know, there's nothing lost on your end, but, you know, to work out a, a lease, um, um, you know, a, a lease that covers like if, you know, because what I do is like, I'm kind of the middleman. Um, so, you know, I'm the person who like finds the building, finds the tenant, you know, work with the tenant, like, you know, with Heather now, you know, we're, we're doing a Pinterest board of like all the kinds of things that she would love to have in her studio. Um, and be like, you know, so, so we'll design it and we'll build it according to our specification. It's not like we're just building out a shell and like similarly with the bike shop, um, you know, we weren't just, we were designing something like, okay, well, you're, you're going to need an area for tools. You're going to need an area to store bikes, to display them, all that kind of stuff, maybe do, um, kind of workshops. Um, so, you know, if you're, if, it depends what, what you want to do. If you're someone who wants to do kind of the development piece, um, then that's what you're, you're kind of doing that matchmaking. You're, you're finding the building and then you're also like looking for people who would, who would lease it at the end of the day, um, so that you can, you can make back the money that you've put in. Uh, but you know, if you're, or maybe you're just someone who has an idea for a business, like wants to, um, you know, open a bakery or something, um, then, you know, maybe like maybe it'd be better for you to come to someone like me who can who, who already has kind of a database of like, oh, these are buildings and this is what I've working with. You know, so I have a board and, you know, there's two architects on that board. So we can do a pretty good cost appraisal of what it will take to, you know, bring a building up to up to code or to make it usable again. Um, the council are, are have been like using CPOs to purchase derelict buildings. Um, do you think that's working? And do you think your format for taking dereliction and vacancy is something that can be rolled out on a bigger uh, 
in a bigger way or do you think there's a better way um, for the future of dereliction in our city? Um, so like on, on the CPO piece, well, I, um, I mean, I wish, I mean, as a like first kind of easy thing to do, um, so I, I find that the council is quite timid in how it deals with dereliction and vacancy. Um, so often like I've had a number of sites which in my mind are clearly derelict, might not have a roof. <laughs> and, you know, I've sent them in with photos to, you know, that they're boarded up. I've sent them, the photos into the derelict site section and then I'll get an email say, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're, we'll, have, we'll send someone out to inspect. And then, you know, a couple of months later, I'll get a report back saying, oh, you know, we consider, we don't consider it derelict. It's neatly boarded up, um, it, you know, and it doesn't come under the purview of the dangerous building section. And also it's not big enough to be considered a vacant site to go on that mm. register. Um, and like, you know, the legislation is pretty clear that, um, you know, it, it's, um, it's up, it's up to the local authority to decide if something is either derelict or at risk of becoming derelict. Um, so, you know, even if uh, a local authority comes back to me and says, oh, no, no, it's, it's neatly boarded up or we think it's okay at the moment, like there's still a very good argument that like, well, it's becoming derelict if we don't do something. Um, you know, we have a very moist climate. You have to can't just <laughs> like buildings can become very can become derelict very quickly in Ireland and and you know seeing kind of the progress on sites since I first started looking at them five or six years ago and seeing buildings that actually could have been brought back into use for maybe twenty thousand two years ago now need a whole roof replacement and the cost would be like a hundred thousand so it's not within my own capacity to take on yeah. a project like that um so like intervening early is really important. Um, something that I find really interesting as well is, okay, so a local authority can say, well, we don't consider X building to be derelict, but, um, you know, okay, so if the building is a commercial building or is a residential building, is it liable for local property tax or is it liable for commercial rates? And so local property tax is obviously collected by revenue and there's currently a loophole. So if your building is empty, but uninhabitable, then you can get an exemption from the revenue to say you're not liable for local property tax. Um, so like I, you know, on the housing for all thing, like I was really excited to see, okay, well, vacancy is going to be taken out of the hands of local authorities and the revenue will be dealing with it because revenue already know all of the buildings that are supposedly uninhabitable. So it should be very easy for them to say, oh, well, all those buildings that we said aren't liable for LPT, now they are liable for LPT. And, you know, I would hope that the LPT would be, like, for for an uninhabitable building would be much higher than an LPT for, an, for a, a, you know, a building that's lived in. Like, yeah, that to me would be a huge lever that, like, could be pulled, like, very quickly um, and shouldn't take months and months of, like, compiling a database of vacancy because you know revenue has it and like you say like they're really good at tracking down who owes the money um and yeah you know if you have a commercial a commercial building um it's the local authority it's dublin city council that would collect those rates and they also provide (laughs) yeah they also provide kind of exemptions for you know if it's if it's empty so yeah like really making it financially disastrous for an owner to have an empty building 
would be useful <laughs> for someone like me. <laughs> be very useful. And um, because then, you know, the people who own buildings would be kind of be flocking to me, being like, oh, you know, can you can you renovate this and take it off our hands so we're not paying local property tax on it now. We're not paying commercial rates on it now um, that it's being used. Yeah, that would be great. Amazing. Um, I am so delighted to hear that, um, how this has all come about and all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, best of luck with it going forward. All right. Thanks, Andrea. Now, this week, getting into the sea, it's actually The Guardian. There was an interview published between Judith Butler and Jules Gleeson. And uh, Judith Butler is uh, a, a writer. It was her 30-year anniversary um, of writing her book. And she did an interview with Jules Gleeson. And in it, she was talking about turfs. And, and she said, it is very appalling and sometimes quite frightening to see how trans-exclusionary feminists have allied with right-wing attacks on gender. The anti-gender ideology movement is not opposing a specific account of gender, but seeking to eradicate gender as a concept of discourse, a field of study and approach to social power. Sometimes they claim that sex alone has scientific standing, but other times they appeal to divine mandates for masculine domination and difference. They don't seem to mind contradicting themselves. Um, uh, there, it, there's further pieces that went on about talking about turfs um, and talking about how neo-fascism is becoming more normalized in anti-intellectual times and it was deleted from the Guardian so the US Guardian uh, the US Guardian commissioned the piece it went live and then it there was pieces of it deleted um, and at the Guardian have put in developments after the article was published um, led to the deletion. There hasn't been any clarity on what that is yet. Um, but I think it is very interesting if you are on Twitter to go and look at galactic underscore potato. They did uh, a brief study on a certain turfy uh uh, Glinner supporting hashtag of he it, why it was trending and when it was broken down it seems that there's a small amount of loud voices who are um, using tricks and tips on Twitter to make it sound like it's a, a more resounding uh, conversation because um, it can get really upsetting to think that there is such an attack on trans people um, but actually when it comes down to it that there is a minority of people who are really vocalizing and multiplying their their voices as opposed to it being a bigger thing. So I think it have a look at that that uh, tweet and how he, they break it down um, because I do think it ties in with what happened at the Guardian um, and there was obviously some sort of attack that led to it being taken down. Like overall anti-trans people like just let trans people live their lives now it's time for our fave bits uh, in a twist to the podcast uh, as Una is away for the month what I am going to do is ask our 
interviewees to tell me their fave bits to get to know them a little bit more so you can see where they're coming from when we're talking about their professional bits. Um, I will start on my fave bits. My fave bits this week, Roisin Murphy, unfortunately, cancelled her tour. Um, I was very excited for my first excursion to Berlin to see Roisin. She will always be my fave bit and uh, the devastation is real. Um, Are you obsessed with Roisin Murphy as much as I am, Lauren? Yes. Good. (laughs) Um, My other fave bit is Motel Makeover on Netflix. (gasps) That was my one. Ah. (laughs) Because I love it because I always dreamt, even though I have a club night called No More Hotels, I always dreamt of making a boutique motel. And I remember Al Mazer went away in the US and he painted a big motel. And it's, I just remember traveling through Australia and America. And we used to stay in all these fab crap motels that like were alien UFO names or whatever. And there's just a magic in a motel. And I'd love to have a motel in Ireland. And, um, but which also had cultural spaces and all the things that maybe a club at the back, all the things that I give out about the hotels and um, eradicating. But when I was watching Motel Makeover on Netflix, I was like, this is so fascinating. The two girls, women uh, popping in and just getting stuck in, getting the, digging in their heels and just making these mad gorge motels. Why do you love it? Um, I love it. I like, I, I also really romanticize motels. Um, but yeah, I love that it was two women, you know, they remind me of me and Heather. I was like, Heather, we should be doing this. We should be like, you know, recording ourselves, got in the place. Um, yeah, I love that it's two women getting stuck in. And also I love, I love the, um, seeing the beauty in a building that's already there, you know, mm. that's fabulous. And, and also I love that they use so much kind of upcycled materials and vintage stuff and, you know, that's what, that, that's what we should be doing. We should be using buildings that we already have and then, you know, using stuff that we already have rather than, you know, buying everything new. Um, what else about it? Um, I also, you know what I also think is good? I like the idea that Americans would ho- would go on their holidays in the States and like that whole, the, the localness of it. Yeah. And like, because that's something that we'll need to do as well in terms of climate, like, we're just going to have to holiday in Ireland. Americans are going to have to stop coming over here, you know, and doing transatlantic flights. So if they go to Sobel Beach, like that's much better than them, you know, flying, <laughs> flying to Europe. So yeah, the emphasis on kind of localness and upcycled materials and on women, like having a brilliant time. I love yeah. all of that. I find it just like I sat down and watched the whole thing, like in one sitting. Same. It's so good. Uh, any other fave bits for me? And then I'll finally let you go. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, so I, well, I just started Sally Rooney's beautiful world. Where are you? Um, yesterday. And yeah, I, I love her writing this. It's, it's for me, it's, it's kind of like watching motel makeover. I just, the, the world of her book, the worlds that she creates in her books, I just find like so absorbing. Um, and like, you know, there's all this really good stuff about, um, class and economics and you know what it is to live in a world where you can constantly like go on an app and like get a hit of endorphins or like you know like what what does that do to your relationships and love and romance um, I think all that stuff's really great and um then I, I there's a poem by a poet Ralph Black ext um that I would recommend people read and it's 
um, it's a poem about listening to a radio interview with a photographer who has a book about all these, you know, beautiful animals that are basically going extinct within our lifetime. And, um, yeah, I, I love finding poetry or stories that connect me with climate crisis in a way that I feel is appropriate. Um, because yeah, I spend, I spend a lot of my time thinking about, okay, well, the world's coming to an end. <laughs> what? What? I know, but like, like how? But how do you make? How do you cope with that? And I find, hmm. I find culture helps me cope with that reality because otherwise you just like stay under the duvet, you know, and give up. And that's yeah. the whole point of culture at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Terrible. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's bananas. So this week, the whole Leo going to the mighty hoopla. Like, what was he thinking? We all, I, like, we all want to get back to a festival. But if you are the leader of a country um, who has outlawed events like the one you're going to, who has kept people out of jobs, who have said a week before to the entertainment industry that the UK's path was not a one to follow and then to go to a festival for and dance to Atomic Kitten like you have to ask yourself what was the actual thinking does he actually just not give a fuck like it's very easy to know that if you're standing in solidarity and having empathy with the people who are uh in the situation that you're imposing as the Thanishta, the leader of business in the country, how that might look bad. Um, obviously now rules are broken. We can all leave the country, but like, is that not bananas that we can leave the country to go to things and festivals? And there was loads of Irish people at it and then come back. Why are we not allowing it to happen in our own country? Um, and why are we like, why are we not allowing it to happen safely? Why is there no talk of antigen testing and why is there no testing at events um, coming down the road? It just, it just all feels very bananas and a very roundabout way of doing things. So yeah, it's bananas. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave his, his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. This week's tuna chicken roll. It is delicious. So, don't you know in Sex and the City, I know we all watch Sex and the City all the time, uh, don't you know in Sex and the City where they go to the club bed and there's an absolute banger playing when Miranda falls onto one of the beds and meets this man, blah, blah, blah. And for ages I was obsessed with it. Eventually I found out what it was. It's Diana Ross, I Got Your Love. It's not on Spotify, so in my mind it doesn't exist. But it is such a tuna chicken roll it puts me in such good form and I hope it puts you in good form because I feel like I was very stressed this week from all the shit that's going on anyway I've been Andrea Horan this has been United Ireland and that was taking back dereliction maybe I should really make a play in uh, Zoolander derelict that was derelict uh, till next week adieu Love